0: I decided to clean out my attic. Now, primarily, I needed to clean out the boxes of pictures I had accumulated. See, I am the oldest child in my family, and I am the oldest grandchild on both sides of the family, so I inherited all those family pictures. And then my husband and I inherited all his family pictures. So needless to say, my attic was full of picture albums. Now, this sounds bad, but I threw them away. Now, I didn't throw all of them away, but I threw away the majority of those pictures. Right after that, my sweet Aunt Kay texted me and asked if she could borrow a particular photo album she knew had been entrusted to me. And this album had generations of family members' pictures. So she wanted to make copies of those pictures and save them for our history, our legacy. So you can imagine, I was going up the steps to my attic thinking... threw them away. Did I throw those pictures away? And who does that? Who throws away cherished family photos? Well, thankfully, I searched and searched my attic, and I was able to find the album and give it to my aunt. But the truth is, I had not diligently preserved what had been entrusted to me. And thanks to my Aunt Kay's diligence, those treasured photos will be passed down To the next generation. She preserved. Our family legacy. In pictures. Now we know from our study. In 2nd Timothy. That Paul wanted Timothy. To preserve what had been entrusted to him. He told him in his first letter to him. Guard what's been entrusted to you. And then he told him again. In his second letter in the first chapter. Guard through the Holy Spirit. That dwells in us. The treasure that's been entrusted to you. The treasure entrusted to Timothy and to us is the truth of God's word. And this theme is carried over into our passage this week as we look at 2 Timothy 2 verses 14 through 26. Here Paul tells Timothy in verse 15, Be diligent to present yourself a proof to God as a workman who doesn't need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. We need to be diligent workmen that accurately handle the truth of God's word and preserve what has been entrusted to us. And we do that by God's grace and through his Holy Spirit. So that's what we're going to talk about. To leave a legacy of eternal significance, we need to be diligent workmen. And we know that Paul was diligent to the very end think about what this man had already accomplished. We learned that he was in prison, in a dungeon prison for sharing the gospel. And he'd been in prison before for sharing the gospel. We also know that he planted churches and he shared the message of salvation across the ancient world on three missionary journeys. And he wrote epistles that became a fourth of our New Testament. Paul knew he had fought the fight and finished in the faith. And he could have said... I'm done, and just not put any more effort in his legacy of faith and its eternal significance. He had done a whole lot by this point, but that's not what he did. Even at the end, he was focused on Timothy and the church, us, because to Paul, his example of diligence to the end was our Savior, Jesus. And we also, you know, we love to think of the women in our church that were diligent to the end in their 90s. Margie Andrews and Mary Ann Frazier, those sweet, precious women that wanted to leave a legacy of faith even in their 90s. But I'll tell y'all, we have a lot of women in our 70s and 80s that use their gifts to serve the Lord because they want to leave a legacy of faith and be diligent to the end. Our own cricket now is passing the baton to our own Christie, Both women that want to leave a legacy of faith and Cricket's going to use her, her gifts when she retires. And another very special woman that most of y'all know, Susie Davis. She's in our heart-to-heart small group when she's not in Uganda. And she and I have had discussions about wanting to be diligent to the end. And I have heard her make this statement more than once. I want to go out in a blaze. Not as a light that grows dimmer and dimmer until barely a flicker of light remains. In Christ, we have eternal life and a purpose on this earth until God takes us home no matter how old we are. Ladies, let's go out in a blaze. Diligence is derived from the word that means to love. So, a diligent workman loves his work. So, for our lesson today, we're looking at how a diligent workman needs to love God and his word so much that he is wanting to preserve the truth of God's word in order to leave a legacy of eternal significance. So, how do we become diligent workmen? We're going to look at three ways we need to be diligent we need to be diligent with our words. We need to be diligent with God's word and we need to be diligent with our conduct. First, we need to be diligent with our words. So let's look at what Paul says about how we need to be diligent with our words. Paul tells Timothy to solemnly charge everyone in the presence of God. Whoa, he uses strong language there. Don't wrangle with words. Don't get into word fights. The early church was dealing with false teaching outside the church and false teaching in the church. Timothy was to confront it, expose it, speak the truth of God's word, but do it without getting in a word fight. We're no different. There is false teaching outside our church, within the church. We're to confront it, expose it, speak the truth of God's word, but do it without getting into a word fight. Now, there are things that are the non-negotiables of our faith, and then things that I probably wouldn't make a big deal out of. For instance, I probably wouldn't make a big deal out of how old Timothy was when he wrote this book, or when Paul wrote this book. It's not going to make a difference in the message of salvation. It's not going to make a difference in how we worship, serve, pray, but... I want to passionately defend the resurrection. That is a non negotiable of the faith. If the resurrection didn't happen, redemption would not be possible. After we speak the truth and do it passionately and defend the truth of God's word, we need to go a step further in our spiritual maturity. And do it with love and compassion. Many years ago, I heard Cricket lovingly defend the gospel truth to a woman who spoke falsely about God. And I remember sitting there thinking, oh wow, that's how you do that. And honestly, my facial expression at the time probably was not loving. Because I was thinking, what? And Cricket lovingly. Defended the truth passionately. You know, I wrote this portion of the lecture. And then the very next day, I was in my house and there was a lot going on. I was holding my grandson and two women knocked at my door. So I opened the door and they identified themselves as Jehovah Witness when I asked. And they asked for some of my time. And so I said, the truth is... Jesus is God. He is the God. He is the only God. He is not a God. And we differ on truth. And these ladies smiled and nodded. They agreed. Normally, when I see women or men in my neighborhood walking around and I think they're saying something false about God, it makes me angry and frustrated. I may be thinking, well, did I share the truth of God with them? But in this instance, the Lord allowed me to see these women totally lost. Their souls were lost. And I felt compassion for them. And so as they were leaving, I said to them, much love to you ladies, but we disagree on truth. Jesus is God. By the way, that's a non-negotiable of the faith. That's a deity of Christ. But I hope that those women saw enough compassion that if I see them again, I could say to them, let me show you the book of John. Let me show you in chapter 1 about the deity of Christ. Because I didn't slam the door in their face. I didn't get angry. But it was God that did that, not me. I shut the door and I prayed for their salvation. I pr- I thanked God for the ability to respond compassionately to them because I knew that was not me. That was totally God's grace. (laughs) And it's like the Lord said, child of mine, if you're going to teach it, you sure better live it and practice it. And so we do need to speak with love and compassion. Because we want believe unbelievers to say, I want to know more about their God. You know, truthfully, words fights are useless, whether it has to do with false teaching or anything else. Y'all know there are churches that split over whether or not to wear a mask. We need to respond to each other in love and compassion and to others with love and compassion. When Jesus was on earth teaching... He spoke in love, and he spoke in truth. He didn't get into word fights. Christians will always debate points of Scripture, and that's so good. That's healthy. It's when it becomes an argument that it's not healthy. So second, Paul tells Timothy to avoid worldly, empty chatter. And two folks that did that was Hemanus and Philetus. They spoke this empty, worldly chatter, They were teaching that the resurrection had taken place. Well, the resurrection of Jesus had taken place, but they were spiritualizing it. They were teaching that there was not a literal resurrection. And this went along with the Greek philosophy that was prevalent in Ephesus. And that was that anything that was tangible or matter was evil. And the further away from that you were, the more spiritual you were. See how they twisted everything. It was godless chatter. So you can see how Paul was concerned about Timothy because there was godless chatter outside the church, within the church, and Timothy was to avoid it. The world teaches, when the world teaches anything opposed to Scripture, it's godless, empty chatter. Scripture's the authority. Philosophy, science, technology, all that's great unless It speaks against the authority of Scripture, and then it's just godless chatter. We can only understand spiritual truth from Scripture. Paul likens it to someone who has poisonous gangrene. Poisonous gangrene is this infection that gets in your body and just spreads, and it needs to be cut out, just like these men needed to cut out speaking this godless chatter. I always wonder how Paul came up with this metaphor of gangrene. And you know, he hung around Dr. Luke so long. I just wonder if Luke talked to him about gangrene and how that infection just spreads in your body. The world and its chatter is godless. It leads to anxiety, hopelessness, despair, confusion, because the world does not offer grace, hope, peace, love, joy, forgiveness, that is only in Christ. And it's interesting to me that before Paul started teaching Timothy about how to use his words, he gave him this trustworthy statement. Remember that we talked about last week in 2 Timothy verses 11 through 13. This was likely an early Christian hymn. And it says, if we died with him, we should also live with him. If we endure, we also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. There's our hope. As sinners, we are separated from God. So God sent his perfect son, Jesus, to pay the penalty for our sins. And Jesus did that with his blood, When he died on the cross and was resurrected to life. And when we confess our sins and put our trust in Jesus, our sins are forgiven. And when that happens, we are so enveloped with Christ spiritually. We are so united with him and identify with him that his death is our death spiritually. And we are absolutely resurrected to life as he was absolutely resurrected to life. How do you respond to godless chatter? With word fights or love and compassion? We need to avoid word fights and godless chatter and recognize false teaching and defend the truth of God's word. But we can take comfort in knowing that the truth of God's word will stand forever. False teaching will not stop it. To be a diligent workman, we need to be diligent with our words. Second, we need to be diligent with God's Word. Paul tells Timothy to be a diligent workman, he needs to accurately handle the Word of truth. The Greek verb used in this verse, accurately handle, literally means to cut straight. So we are to cut straight the text of God's Word. So when all these godless worldly, empty chatter is going on, we need to cut a straight path with the truth of God's Word. So what do we know about God's Word? I don't care how long you've been a believer. This is wonderful, wonderful to think about. It is the Word of God. The Bible is the Word of God. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. Always, It's inspired by God, all of it, not parts of it. It's how God reveals himself to us, and we are responsible to know what he is saying. It's eternal. It will last forever. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God will stand forever. We also know that once we accept Christ as our Savior and Lord, we are no longer spiritually blind the Lord will give us understanding. 2 Timothy 2, 7 says, Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. After Christ ascended bodily to the Father, and we got his replacement, the Holy Spirit, it was not a downgrade. We got the presence of Jesus in us, and he will show us in his word when we study His Word, what He wants us to learn. So how do we accurately handle God's Word? We're going to look at five ways that we need to be diligent with God's Word. First, we need to pray. Pray with a dependence on the Holy Spirit and a humility. Pray before we read, during the time we read, after the time we read God's Word, and to love God above all else and to help us have a passion to know what He is saying to us. This past year in seminary, we were to choose a spiritual discipline to practice over two weeks and then write a paper about it. So I chose a spiritual discipline of silence with attentiveness, focusing on the abiding nature of Christ in me. So, and this is something Cricket has taught us many times about just sitting still in the presence of the Lord before even starting your quiet time. So, I did this for about 10 minutes, focusing on something that I learned from school, from John 17, 21. And in this verse, this is the high priestly prayer, when Jesus is praying for us as future believers before he goes to the cross, and he's praying to the Father for us. And he says, even as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they meaning us, also may be in us. So what I learned here is that because of what Christ did on the cross, I am as close to the Father as He is because of what He did for me. Like a vine to the branch from John 15. So for me to be able to sit before I have my quiet time, And just be really still and recognize the abiding nature of Christ in me and what this means. It is just the greatest blessing. So now, I don't want to let go of that spiritual discipline. I I want to keep doing it way more than two weeks. So pray. Have a prayerful spirit even before we start to study God's Word. And memorize Scripture. You know, I remember well scripture I memorized as a little girl and as a young adult, and now I'm so convicted about wanting to memorize scripture better. It is so comforting when we're going through a really difficult time to have that scripture that we memorized as a young person or an older person to come back to us and comfort us from God's Word. The women also in my heart-to-heart small group, there are some precious ladies in there. And when they pray and they pray back scripture they have memorized, it is so worshipful and so comforting. We need to try hard to memorize scripture. And we need to hear the word. Listening to Bible teaching from men and women that we trust. And at the same time, study the Bible passage ourselves. Ponder it. Think through it prayerfully as we listen. So we need to pray Memorize scripture, hear the word, study the passage. We need a regular study and devotion time to God's word. Let me show y'all two treasures. This is what we did last semester that Cricket wrote, Rooted, Growing Deep in Your Faith. And it's week three where she goes over different ways to study in depth in the scripture That's a great resource, and I go back to it so frequently. Another resource that I found very helpful is a book written by Dr. Mark Yarbrough called How to Read the Bible Like a Seminary Professor. This is also a free online course through Dallas Seminary. He's also the president of the seminary, and he taught the story of Scripture, so I have a real fondness for, for him. And the third thing I wanted to mention is what we all know is our heart-to-heart small groups. When we individually study God's Word and then we come together in our small groups and share what we've learned from each other, it is so special. I love those women with all my heart and I have learned so much from them over the years. That is another way to study deep a passage of Scripture. And number five, we want to internalize it. The Word of God is powerful and our lives are forever changed when we study God's Word. You see, accurately handling the truth of God's Word is not just reading it, not just the knowledge of it, it's living it. It's when our lives are transformed. Two quotes that I love. One was D.L. Moody that said, the Bible was not meant for information but for transformation. And then one of Cricket's favorite professors, Howard Hendricks, would say that he would pray every day, Lord, give me the greatest obsession to know the truth and give me an equal obsession to live it. We need to prayerfully study the Scripture, read the Scripture, memorize the Scripture, and meditate on the Scripture until it is forever etched in our hearts and minds. Because... We're to know God's Word, because it's how He reveals Himself to us. We see His promises, His character. And when the world seems to absolutely overwhelm us, like it has in the last month, where we lose dear men of God and we don't understand or we have some total injustice in our city or we're scared to go to the grocery store or we're scared to get gasoline. We remember from God's word that God is good all the time, that he loves us, that we are his children, that he is faithful and trustworthy and we have hope in him and that sin and death and pain and Satan... Will one day be defeated. And there will be no more death. No more sin. No more Satan. No more tears. And that is our hope. Are you diligent with God's word? Do you have a love for scripture? I remember Margie Andrews saying. When she became a new believer as a young woman. She asked the Lord to give her a love for scripture more than ice cream. And we know She had a love for scripture more than ice cream. That's a prayer. So to become diligent workmen, we need to be diligent with our words. Second, we need to be diligent with God's word. And third, we need to be diligent with our conduct. You know, Paul gives Timothy a word picture about honorable and dishonorable vessels. Timothy's life was to be honorable like a gold and silver vessel. And we too are to be vessels of honor, sanctified and useful to the master, prepared for every good work. But the only way we are useful to God is to cleanse ourselves from anything dishonorable. And we cannot scour our vessels enough. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's 1 John 1, 9. We can't do it. Only Christ can do that for us. As believers, we have the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit guides us through the sanctification process so we can be useful to the Master and prepared for every good work. And when we are walking in the Spirit, we have a new set of spiritual desires that we need to be obedient. So one thing Paul tells Timothy to do is to flee evil desires of youth, and if you think about what an evil desires of youth might be, like their arrogance, impatience, they may have a desire for sex or importance or wealth. Those are the things that we need to flee. That kind of conduct needs to be cleansed from our vessel. Instead, Paul says we are to pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace. That's how we become a vessel for honor. And then Paul says in verses 23 through 25, do not be quarrelsome. It wasn't long ago that I was studying this passage in my quiet time, and then I decided to go for a run. I don't run for time. I just run to pray and clear my head. So I started on my running, and I was reflecting on this verse about being quarrelsome. And so I started my run thinking, oh, I'm so glad I'm not quarrelsome. My head was so big, I'm surprised I didn't fall flat on my face running. So then I'm running a little further, and I think, oh, there was that time I was quarrelsome. And then I run a little bit further, and it's like, oh, that time I was quarrelsome. I kept running and then it was like yesterday I was quarrelsome and this morning I was quarrelsome. And it all had to do with my husband, Chuck. By the end of my run, I was sobbing, asking the Lord for forgiveness because now I've realized I'm the most quarrelsome person on the planet. So then I go in the kitchen and Chuck's standing there and he says, Are you okay? And I told him what had happened and then I asked him for forgiveness. And then I said um, do you think I'm quarrelsome? And he said with a smile on his face, I'm so glad you run. Well, I am so glad that the word of God is so powerful. I can read it. The Holy Spirit can convict me and then I can confess my sins and become the clean vessel that the Lord can use so that I can be useful to the master and prepared for every good work. We need to be diligent workmen to live set apart as vessels for honor so that our lives are a testimony to others of our Savior. Now, I don't want to throw out any more family pictures. I want to preserve the pictures that have been entrusted to me and do right by them. But the truth is, as important as those pictures are, they do not leave a legacy of eternal significance. It is only the truth of God's word that leaves a legacy of eternal significance. We want to do the best to the very end of our life to leave a legacy of faith that has eternal significance because we want the Lord to say, you weren't ashamed. You weren't embarrassed. You accurately handled the truth of my word and I am so proud of you. How do we leave a legacy of eternal significance? We guard the truth of God's Word that's been entrusted to us. We become diligent workmen, diligent with our words, diligent with God's Word, and diligent with our conduct. Let's pray. Dear Lord, help us to accurately handle the truth of your Word. Help us to live it and help us to love you more every day of our lives in order to preserve a legacy of eternal significance, not ashamed, not embarrassed, and make you so proud. It is in your precious, mighty name we pray. Amen.